The Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return, brought to you by Narcanon Suncoast. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return. This is episode 98, and this is Joni Siegel. And I do not have my co-host, Jason Good, in the studio with me today. But what I'm going to present to you today are some interviews that I did at the 7th Annual Southeastern U.S. Regional Drug Prevention Summit in Tampa. This is the second year we were invited to attend the summit and to interview the speakers and attendees. Last year, I think we just kind of grabbed whoever was there and did some pretty good interviews, but this year we have most of the main speakers that we felt would be of interest to you. Also, I want to let you know that this episode and two other episodes that I will be publishing that are also interviews from the Drug Prevention Summit, this episode and those two are also sponsored by Drug Free America. We have had Amy Ronshausen, who's the executive director of Drug Free America, on the podcast several times. And Drug Free America is really dedicated to preventing the legalization of recreational marijuana in the United States. And Amy has spoken on that many times. And if you'd like further information on Drug Free America, the website is D like David, F like Frank, A flikefrank.org, dfaf.org. Now, our first interview for the first day we were at the summit is Robert DuPont. For over 40 years, Robert DuPont, who's also a doctor, has been a leader in drug abuse prevention and treatment. He was the first director of the National Institute on Drug Abuse and the second White House drug chief. From 1968 to 1970, he was Director of Community Services for the District of Columbia Department of Corrections. From 1970 to 1973, he served as Administrator of the District of Columbia Narcotics Treatment Administration. So he's been involved in the addiction area for many, many years. He's also the former drug czar of the U.S. So that's our first interview, Bob DuPont. So I am speaking to Bob DuPont. You are indeed. I'm really super excited. I understand that you used to be the drug czar for the United States. I was the White House drug czar and the first director of the National Institute on Drug Abuse. Wow. How did you get like interested in the area of drug abuse? I left my medical training to got my first job at the age of 32. Okay. That's how long that training was. Okay. I went to Harvard Medical School. I did my residency at Harvard. Okay. I got trained at NIH, so I had pretty fancy credentials. Right. And I decided what I wanted to do was help people in prison, the prisoners. Okay. So I went to work for the District of Columbia Department of Corrections, and I discovered the heroin epidemic, which was leading to the crime problem in the city and found out that by treating addiction, I could keep people out of prison. Wow. And that led to a change of the whole country's attitude about drug treatment, and it got me to the White House drug job. But it all had to do with having a passion for prisoners. And so I've always been a special relationship to the criminal justice system as a way of helping people from a health point of view. 
That, but anyway, that's how it started. Well, that's awesome. But and I don't. I'm not trying to age you. But how long ago? What, like, what year was that? 1968. Fifty years ago. 51 yeah. years ago. And you know, now there's all of this publicity about the opioid epidemic yeah, yeah. and how horrible it is. It, it existed is a, back then. Well, it was. It was a heroin epidemic then. Right. Uh, now we're talking about fentanyl and oxycodone. Right. Uh, but it, it is right. Uh, this is our fourth uh, re- rodeo in a way. We also had the crack problem and the methamphetamine problem. The drug problem is not substance specific. Right. Uh, the going after one drug at a time misses the fact that most people are using multiple drugs. That's right. You don't have very many people who just use one drug. That's right. That's right. And sometimes, even if they think they're only using one drug, they're not because the drug they are using is mixed with so many different things. It's re- the only reason that's mixed is not because they have poor quality control. It's because the users like it better. Ah. The people like to use multiple drugs. Well, uh, and they do that on purpose. And also and the dealers, when they're selling something like heroin, they can cut it with fentanyl and they can get more money. So there's well, that as well. they get more money because they like it better right it's an improved product right. one of the things that's interesting is that the drug dealers don't care about dying they don't care about people who die right because drug addicts flock to the dealer who sold the lethal drug because that's the good stuff and people can't imagine that they i know think they go away from that person they go to them that's so right. the dealers have no incentive to keep them from dying uh, it builds business. That's right. Uh, my co-host, who isn't with us today, is a former addict. And he has said that many times, yeah. that addicts will go, they'll hear about someone overdosing, they'll go find that dealer exactly. to get that product. It's It, it, it boggles the mind. Well, it really it, does. It, here's the statistic that I use. $100 billion a year is paid by drug addicts for illegal drugs. Illegal drugs, $100 billion. Yep. That's more than alcohol, more than tobacco. It's a huge industry. Yep. That's what keeps this thing going. And all of that is paid for by in cash by drug addicts. That's Some right. of the poorest people in the country are paying billions of dollars to drug dealers for drugs. They pay nothing for treatment. Now, all the treatment is paid for by somebody else. Taxpayers right. and insurance. Virtually none of it yep. is paid for by drug users. That tells you about the drug user's motivation. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Tell me about your... One choice. What does that mean? Sorry, I keep touching uh, well, your knees. No, I don't mind. Uh, <laughs> the, the, the one choice is prevention. Okay. And it's important for kids to understand that the healthy choice for kids is not to use any alcohol, any tobacco, any marijuana or other drugs for health because of the unique vulnerability of the adolescent brain. And so growing up drug-free is the standard for health, just like exercising every day and wearing a seatbelt when you're in a car. And that's what we need to do in this country is get that idea across that that is the health standard. The normalization of adolescent drug and alcohol use is the, is the ground on which grows the entire epidemic. That's right. Uh, and we need to denormalize kids using drugs. That's right. When I go into a medical doctor's office like I did this week, and there's a big poster on the wall for CBD gummies, yeah. it's like, no, that's yeah. just wrong. It is wrong. You know, yeah. you're making it it's to wrong where... It's two levels. Uh, first of all, the CBD doesn't help anybody. Oh, there you uh, go. That, that's one problem. And second of all, it normalizes marijuana. Exactly. Exactly. And the more we normalize it, the more the kids are going to want to use exactly. it because it's okay because it's not illegal. Exactly. Scary, scary. Yeah, the and country's you, going in the wrong direction on this. Yes. Uh, and, and, you know, everybody knows the two legal drugs, alcohol and tobacco, everybody knows they're dangerous. Right. And nobody doesn't know that. Right. But with marijuana, they think there's no problem. 
And that's the thing. People don't realize that prevention doesn't stop because a drug is legal. We have prevention problems of challenges for tobacco and alcohol. That's right. But, but at least with alcohol and tobacco, you start with an understanding that it's a problem. Exactly. With marijuana, they deny any problem associated right. with it. And that's completely ridiculous because yeah. the marijuana of today is not the marijuana of the 70s, no. but even the marijuana in the 70s. I don't oh, know about lots you, of problems. but I could always look at someone and go, that guy's a pothead. Yeah, that's right. He's like spaced out. He's not with me. He's not talking to me. Yeah, I know? call it the careless drug. Exactly. What it does, it gets people, they don't care. They don't care about their grades. They don't care about work. They don't care about anything. That's right. Except the use of the drug. And, and that kind of dumbing down of motivation uh, is a terrible problem. Yep. Uh, and lots and lots of people use the marijuana and drop out of other things that are very important. Now, not everybody. Uh, it's, you know, I think about it like seatbelts. Not everybody who doesn't wear a seatbelt has a problem. Right. Some people go by, and some people with marijuana don't have problems. Right. But a lot of people do, and the people who do have problems thought they were going to get away without having a problem. Right. Right. It's even opioids. I mean, some people can take an opioid for a condition and they stop. Yes. But then there are some people who can't. That's right. And, and, and when you find you can't, that's when you Oops, need sorry. help uh, with that. And people yep. don't, don't realize that because they, they become dishonest. They lie about it. That's right. And, uh, and then you're off to the races. That's right. What is your definition for stable recovery? You talk about stable recovery. What's your definition of that? Or Well, the first principle is abstinence from use of alcohol, marijuana and other drugs okay so if you're still using you're not in recovery uh that's to me the the sort of bedrock but it's more than that recovery is about improving the character of the person it's about being a better person being a better citizen being a better family member being a better friend uh it's because addiction is makes you self-centered it makes you selfish uh, you're not a good spouse. You're not a good friend. That's right. Uh, when you're using drugs, because what really matters to you is using the drugs, uh, and that's a big problem. So, to me, a recovery is is not using, but it's also engaged in recovery support, and mostly that means going to twelve step meetings, AA and NA meetings. Yeah, somehow staying in touch with others who are also in recovery, and and, and having values that focus on honesty. Yep. Uh, that is the, di- the, the antidote to addiction is honesty. That's true, because that's one of the first things that goes exactly. with an addict. Absolutely. You know, everything that you say you would never, ever do when you're growing up, never steal, lie, cheat, you'll do it all when you're on drugs. Exactly. It happens over because, and over again. Because nothing matters but getting you that drug. That's right. That's exactly right. You know, there is a, um, I have heard this said before that someone who um, is taking Suboxone or Methadone for the rest of their life is sober. It we- depends on what they're using. If they're using other drugs, then they're not. Right. If, they're, if they're taking that medicine as it's prescribed, they're not using any alcohol, not okay. using any marijuana, not using any other drugs, I'm prepared to certify they're in recovery. Okay. So okay. I don't want to write off all that. And I'm not in any rush to get people off buprenorphine or methadone. Okay. The problem I have is that many people, I would say most, who are using methadone and buprenorphine are also using alcohol and other drugs. Yep, or they That's abuse it. Re- or they abuse it and take and more than they should. And they use that, too. Yeah. That's yeah. another thing. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So, so that's, the, to me, the issue, yeah. not whether they take it. And I think going after the use of the medicine itself is, is, sets up a battle okay. that I don't think we need to have. Okay. Uh, but, but the other thing is about MAT, about medication-assisted treatment, is people don't last at it. 
The, the real problem is not that people stay there for 20 years. The average time on buprenorphine is three to six months. Mm-hmm. The average time on methadone is six to nine months. This is a lifetime problem. Right. If you've got a treatment where people are staying a few months, that's not a treatment. Right, right. Good point. Thank you for talking to us well, today, it's a pleasure Robert. to you. If you have a message you want to send out to anybody that listens to our podcast, what would it be? Well, the importance of recovery and go to some meetings. Go to some AA meetings, some NA meetings yourself. Okay. Uh, see what see the miracle at work. Yep. And if you've got somebody who's got a problem, take them by the hand and get into some meetings. And not just one meeting, but go to meeting after meeting and get them a sponsor. Uh, you can be part of the solution uh, by going to those meetings. We've got a robust recovery community in this country growing all the time. And whatever we can do to build that, that's good. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you. I thought it was really fascinating to hear from Bob that, you know, there, the heroin epidemic back in the 19, late 1960s and early 1970s really probably was just as bad as the opioid epidemic today, but you didn't have as much social media and you didn't hear so much about it as we're hearing today about the opioid epidemic. Okay, so the next interview that I did, it was with Kenneth P. Finn. Dr. Finn is a PMR pain medicine physician in Colorado Springs, practicing for nearly 25 years. He has served on the Colorado Governor's Task Force on Amendment 64, which legalized marijuana for recreational use, Consumer Safety and Social Issues Work Group, and served on the Colorado Medical Marijuana Scientific Advisory Council for four years. He's currently on the American Board of Pain Medicine's Executive Board, exam council and appeals committee and served on the executive board of the El Paso County Medical Society for several years and helped them compose their position statement on marijuana and helped the El Paso County Board of Health in creating their position statement as well. He recently worked with the Colorado Medical Society to develop a current position on marijuana, which recently passed by 95% by the Colorado Medical Society membership. Dr. Finn graduated from the University of Texas Medical School at Houston in 1990, and he completed his residency in physical medicine and rehabilitation at the University of Utah in Salt Lake City in 1994. So this is Dr. Kenneth Finn. So thank you, Ken, for being on the podcast today. You bet. I, I caught a little bit of your talk, so I'll ask you some questions. But tell me what your whole part in is in this whole addiction problem that we all face. Well, um, again, I'm not an, addic- an addiction specialist. I'm a pain medicine specialist. Okay. And I live, I've been practicing in Colorado for 25 years. The problem is that we've had a medical marijuana program since 2001 uh-huh. but we had a record number of opioid overdose deaths in 2017 so marijuana does not seem to be the answer to our opioid epidemic at least from a Colorado perspective right and it's showing itself to be more of a companion drug rather than a substitution drug interesting which is a problem and right. what they're finding in some of the local emergency rooms is that when if they're tracking urine drug tests and there's an increase, because a lot of this can be seasonal. Right. You know, uh, when it's nicer outside, t- people tend to do more stuff. Um, and when the opioid overdose overdoses present to the emergency department, the increase in marijuana positivity on drug testing goes up. And when the opioid testing goes down, like in the winter, the THC positivity goes down. So they seem to go hand in hand, and marijuana 
is showing itself to be more of a companion drug rather than a substitution drug. Interesting. That's part of the problem. And yeah, we do have an opioid epidemic, but I think there's a lot of movement to combat that with better insurance coverage for medication-assisted treatment, uh, counseling. Those are the things, that, and especially in Colorado, those are the pieces that are missing to those patients that I see in my practice that are struggling with opioid um, addiction or opioid misuse. Right. And the, the, the lack of resources and funding for those patients is, is, is part of the problem. Got it. Because I think they need, the, they need that type of treatment. Right. So would you say... Would you say that the whole legalization of marijuana has given has created more issues that you see in your practice, or has so it hasn't really helped what you're? I haven't to... seen much of a change in my practice. Okay. Uh, what we're seeing in Colorado, however, again, is an increase over time of mar- of opioid overdose deaths. Okay. And going hand in hand with that, since legalization, we've seen an increase in deaths associated with methamphetamine. It's making a big comeback. I mean. Correlation doesn't mean causation. However, the fact of the matter is if you look at the data, as over time since legalization, opioid overdose deaths have gone up, and now we're having a problem with methamphetamine and cocaine deaths as well. Wow. And you think there is some correlation with the legalization, just based I, on what you're seeing? Yeah, I think the correlation is, is evident in okay. the data. Okay. When I listened to part of your presentation, you were talking about... Um, a death, an example, for, uh, as an example in California, that had more to do with fungus that they thought might be part of marijuana. Yes, there was a, a patient, more than one patient in California, UC Davis, that was being treated for cancer and was undergoing stem cell therapy. Therefore, they were immunocompromised and not able to fight their infe- any infection they may contract. Right. He opted for his medical marijuana product, which unfortunately was contaminated with a fungus and so he couldn't battle the fungus and so instead of the cancer killing the patient the contaminated marijuana product killed the patient got it so was it the marijuana it was the contamination it was the contamination of the marijuana and and the problem is that california has an 18 percent fail rate i mean all the they have a regulated market but they're not regulating it very well right so they have a huge fail rate in terms of product testing oregon uh, just had a report. I don't know if you're familiar with it. They only test. They only evaluated three percent of their industry. Wow. And the the person I don't know who, what their name is from Oregon is the one that's leading the charge to legalize nationally. When in his own state, they can't they can't manage their own marijuana programs. Is there good quality, better quality control in Colorado? I I don't have a good answer to that. Okay. All I can tell you is that products are supposed to be tested on a regular basis, but the first three years after legalization, the Denver Public Health Department had a recall on marijuana products every month for the first three years post-legalization. That tells me that they're having problems with regulation and testing. And the problem, it does not get meet the public eye. So again, if I went and bought a product that was contaminated with a fungus, uh, mites, heavy metals, poisoning, um, pesticides, rodenticides, fungicides, there's no way that I am informed, don't use the product. Right. So, and if you look at these products that, the chemicals that they're using, if you look at them up on the internet and what happens when you heat them and inhale them, they're just basically not good for the body. And right. again, in Colorado, the last time I checked, there was no limit on the residual butane and butane hash oil. So the, the BHO products, which are still considered medication by law in Colorado, have no cap on how much lighter fluid is in the product that you can heat and inhale. Wow. 
It's scary. And I heard you also say that there's there are no public service announcements. There are all kinds of public service announcements against, you know, using romaine alcohol lettuce, if you're pregnant, romaine lettuce, peanut butter, you know, and, you know, not using it when you're pregnant. And yeah. And so there's well, nothing that's, in this That's area. part of the problem is that the Colorado Department of Public Health and Environment knows this information. And as a public citizen of Colorado, I never get information from CDPHE regarding being cautious on the products that somebody may be purchasing or getting from a medical perspective because the, the products are all the same. Right. The only difference between medical and recreational marijuana is taxation. Right. And it's not a cash cow. I mean, I think in 2017, um, uh, Colorado generated over $240 million in tax revenue, but that only equated 1% or less of the, of the general fund. Yeah. So... That's, the, you know, the, my problem is that I don't think that the leaders of our state can spell P&L. Ah. They talk about P all the time. They right. never talk about L. Right. And so you're talking about driving impaired fatalities, uh, adolescent use and addiction, um, treatment for addiction and recovery. Right. Th- those resources are lacking. Law enforcement, environmental impacts. I mean, there, th- it goes way above and beyond whether or not this is a medication or not. Exactly. Exactly. So if you had a message for our listeners, what might that be? Your buyer beware. Buyer beware. Good. A buyer beware. Uh, if you are going to get a marijuana product, what you are getting uh, in the bottle may not be what is on the label. And you don't know if that's accurately tested for contaminants, heavy metals, pesticides, and insecticides, rodenticides, etc. Wow. So you really are taking your life into your own hands to a certain degree with these marijuana products. Wow. I have nothing against purified cannabinoids that are proven in medical conditions. I mean, we have FDA-approved Epidiolex for pediatric seizure. Yep. And I don't know if you caught that part of my talks. If you, if mm-hmm. you go to the Epidiolex website and you look up what the warnings and precautions are for the non-psychoactive purified cannabinoid Epidiolex, CBD, mm-hmm. one of the first things you look at on the precautions and warnings is hepatocellular or liver damage associated with it okay and that's the purified product let alone the contaminated or unpurified products so again buyer beware be careful everybody that's using epidiolex isn't going to go into liver failure but there are going to be a percent of people that are going to have liver abnormalities and the drug interactions if you go to the epidiolex website are 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 huge there's over a hundred potential drug interactions i think about six or eight are significant drug interactions like coumadin blood thinner um so you got to be careful when you're taking medications. If you're going to consider wow. this a medication, you really need to consider it in the laundry list of medications and there are potential drug interactions exactly. with these products. Exactly. Ken, thank you so much for talking to us you today. Bet. Appreciate everything you're doing thank and sharing you. your story. I've got plenty to share. Okay. Thank you. Just a reminder that you are listening to the Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return. If you would like to know more information on the podcast, or if you have a story you would like to tell, please reach out to us on Facebook. We have a Facebook page called The Addiction Podcast Point of No Return. If you'd like further information on Narconon Suncoast, which is a holistic, non-12-step residential rehab program here in Clearwater, Florida, the number to call is 877-339-3324. That's 877-339-3324. Three three two four. Fascinating interview. So my next interview is with Luke D. Niferatos, and Luke is the Chief of Staff and Senior Policy Advisor for SAM, and SAM is an acronym for Smart Approaches to Marijuana. 
Prior to his position at SAM, he spent his career working in nonprofit community health care. Luke worked with behavioral, behavioral health integrated federally qualified health centers throughout the state of Colorado, improving efficiency and implementing new regulations, as well as IT infrastructure. Luke also founded two digital health companies. Having lived in Colorado during legalization, he has seen firsthand the disastrous effects of lax marijuana policies, and that's a lot of what he's going to talk about. So this is Luke Niferatos. So Luke Niferatos, is that, did I say it right? Yep, yep, great job, okay. Niferatos. Okay. Yes. Niferatos, okay, good. Thank you for speaking with us today. Mm-hmm. So tell me um, about SAM. Yeah, you know, Sam, we're a 51C3 nonprofit. Um, basically, our mission is to focus on science-first approaches to marijuana. Um, okay. You know, we we really don't believe that this rush to legalize makes any sense if you look at it from a public health perspective. Uh, you know, there's um, a lot of rush to legalize this, saying, "Hey, you know, it's medicine, or this will get people out of prison, or other things." But when, you know, we believe when you look at the facts and you look at what's going on in these states that legalized, um, it's not going well. Um, and so there are better ways to approach marijuana uh, policy than just blanket legalizing it. So that's what we really try to educate folks about and try to give uh, resources to legislators, also the public, um, and help them to understand kind of how legalization is going in states that legalized. Okay, so what are some of the, like, what are the some, some of the things you're seeing, some yeah, of the reasons yeah. why you would say step back a yeah, little bit? Well, well, first off, I'm from Colorado, so I've lived ah. it. I've seen kind of the marijuana legalization experience firsthand. I've raised my two-year-old daughter there. Um, now we're in D.C. working at SAM. But, um, you know, what we've seen is that in states that legalized marijuana, we have seen uh, drug driving fatalities more than double. So in Colorado, okay. it's a 156% increase. Um, in Washington State, it doubled. Um, so we've seen a lot more people dying on the road since these states legalized. Um, another issue is we were told, look, uh, this is going to you know solve social justice issues. This is going to help kind of get rid of the arrest disparities. This is going to help, um, you know, uh, you know, impacted communities. Unfortunately, what we've seen is actually the opposite has happened. Um, oh, the, wow. the marijuana arrest rate is now double for African-Americans in Colorado um, than that of whites. Um, wow. And we've seen, unfortunately, the prison populations have continued to rise in these states that have legalized as well. So, you know, we were promised a whole lot. Uh, and unfortunately, you know, the whole saying, don't you know, under promise, over deliver. Unfortunately, they over promised and they're very much under delivering. So that's a real problem. Right. How did you end up in Virginia? Yeah. So, you know, I uh, I was, you know, in Colorado. I had uh, you know, I just finished working for um, the, the largest hospital system in Colorado, a nonprofit health uh, called uh, Centura Health, and um, actually had started a company and sold it. Um, and I was kind of looking at, you know, what could I do on this marijuana issue? Because I'd seen how it was impacting uh, the public health in Colorado. Right. Um, and, you know, I, was, I, I couldn't believe that, you know, every time my wife and I would step out of our apartment and go downstairs and, and go for a walk in the afternoon in, in Denver, my daughter in her stroller would be just covered by a cloud of marijuana smoke. Oh, um, my and, gosh. You know, and, and finally, one day, my wife turns to me and she says, I can't believe this is normal. Um, right. you know, there's nothing we can do about this. Every time we go out and, uh, for a walk, this happens. Um, and I thought, you know, you're right. We really need to do something about this. Um, so we learned about Sam, and I, I had the opportunity to join up. Um, and it was worth it for our family to move across the country to get that story out. Um, because a lot of people just think it's going great. It's not. Cool. Say what Sam stands for. I forgot. Yeah, I, Sam I, I, starts I, yeah. for Smart Approaches to Marijuana. Smart Approaches. Um, 
um, and the reason why we're called Smart Approaches to Marijuana is because we're not a reefer madness organization. Right. You know, we're not here trying to tell people, you know, you're evil and don't smoke weed and you're going go to you know, go to hell or something. Right. We're here to talk about the science around it. Now, the right. science is unanimous that it is a harmful substance. There may be medical value. Um, we believe that that should go through the FDA clinical trials, um, go through a process that, you know, puts safety of the patients first. What that's, a concept. Yeah, that's very important. <laughs> so um, those are the things we believe about that. But, you know, we're not out here saying, you know, you're a horrible per- person for smoking weed and you should go to jail because right. we don't think anybody should go to jail for that. Uh, so we're actually putting our money where our mouth is in states like New Jersey and elsewhere. We've actually helped to put forth the bill uh, to decriminalize marijuana, um, mm-hmm. but not legalize it. Right. So, and, and that's the distinction, right? People think that you have to legalize marijuana in order to get people out of prison. Unfortunately, that is not the case. Right. Um, you know, we, we can decriminalize marijuana. So in other words, people don't go to jail for it. Maybe they get a ticket or maybe nothing. Um, and then on the flip side, you have no commercialized industry, which that is what the big problem is today. Exactly. You know, it's interesting, the difference between decriminalization and legalization, they do not mean the same thing. Exactly. You know, and yeah. I think People try to conflate that. And that's it's right. very different. Decriminalization says... You may smoke a joint in your home and you're not going to go to jail for it, but it also says you can't sell this and start a store and sell lollipops and candies, which exactly. is what's going on in legalized states. Exactly. Um, exactly. So, and, and you know, what we've really seen with these legalized states is that this massive industry has taken over. We're seeing big tobacco get involved. Um, big tobacco is now actually involved for over $13 billion in stakes um, in the marijuana industry. Um, we've seen uh, big pharma get involved. The, the former OxyContin CEO from Purdue Pharma, he's now CEO of a marijuana industry. Oh. Um, so it's a big, yeah. We're seeing all the same profit players yes. with their same addiction for profit model. So we're very concerned about that. What does that tell you? I mean, come on, if people listen, what does that tell you? <laughs> yeah, that you've got the same guys making sign. money on opioids is now going to make a billion dollars on marijuana? Yeah. And what's ironic about that is they tell us, oh, see opioids and how bad that went? That's why we need medical marijuana. But the problem is that is very counterintuitive. That's exactly what the pharmaceutical companies want you to be saying. That's um, right. So, uh, you know, we're trying to educate folks on that and the realities of who the players are in this industry. That's awesome. So it, we've got uh, 60,000 listeners from around the world. So if you wanted, if there were something you wanted to tell them, what would that be? Yeah, what I'd say is, look, some of you may be out there thinking this is inevitable. We should just legalize it and make it the best we can. Um, I'm here to tell you that it is not inevitable, um, that there are uh, just last year over a dozen states in, in this country um, rejected legalization um, and said no thanks. Um, and there are other ways to handle marijuana reforms um, that are very much popular uh, in this country and also in the world. Um, and that really focuses on the tenets of decriminalizing users. Um, right. we got to stop stigmatizing users. We can't do that. Right. Um, but on the same token, we got to educate folks on the realities of what drug use means and, and the, the harms of marijuana use are, are there. So we have to focus on that. Um, and so there are real proposals that are coming out in different states, and we're behind some of them, um, to put our money where our mouth is on that. So I would say if you think it's inevitable, think again. This is very much still up in the air. Um, and I would also say that you know if you want to get involved or if you want to learn more about the marijuana issue and kind of some of the... Di- because we've, we've got so many resources. We've done so much work on this. Um, we're in over 30 states. Um, you know, we've, we're, we're working at the, you know, both the uh, local, state, federal, and international level um, on these policies. So please go to our website, um, learnaboutsam.org. Learnaboutsam.org. And yes. SAM, again, is Safe Approach. Smart Approaches Smart to Approaches marijuana. to Marijuana. Yep. So learnaboutsam.org. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me, Luke. I really appreciate it, and I appreciate 
everything you're doing. We are on the cusp here in Florida, and we do not want it recreationally yep. approved. It hasn't been approved yet, right, Steve? Nope. Just medically, right? Nope. Nope. Yeah, we don't want to go there, please. <laughs> so hopefully people in Florida will listen to this. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me on, Joni. It's a real honor to be on the podcast. And, Absolutely. Uh, anything we can do to help, let us Perfect. know. Perfect. Thank you. Thank you, Joni. Well, those were the first three interviews that we did at the Drug Prevention Summit, the seventh annual Southeastern U.S. Regional Drug Prevention Summit. And I thought they were fascinating. I hope that you got some information there that you can use. I like what Luke said at the end, which is that if you think that the legalization of marijuana is inevitable, you need to think again. And, you know, the the worst thing we can do is become apathetic about it and not do anything. So if you are against the legalization of recreational marijuana, please jump on board and find out what you can do to get the word out about that. I know that people get very passionate on the subject of marijuana. Please understand we are not saying that medical marijuana should be outlawed because obviously there are people who need it medically, but recreational, absolutely. And I know that's going to create some passion, especially from the people who want it legalized recreationally. If you don't want it legalized recreationally, please watch our Facebook page and add your name to the agreement side, if you will, versus the people who are going to get all up in arms about us saying it should not be legalized recreationally. Also, I wanted to let you know and to thank you. Our podcast was actually number one in the top 10 drug addiction podcasts and radio you must subscribe to in 2019 on a website called feedspot.com. So thank you for subscribing. Thank you for listening. Once again, this episode and the following two episodes with Interviews from the Drug Prevention Summit is also sponsored by Drug Free America. And you can find Drug Free America at dfaf.org. That's D like David, F like Frank, A like Apple, F like Frank.org. Thank you for listening. I've got more interviews for you next week. Hopefully, Jason will be with us. But one way or the other, if you need help, if you know somebody that needs help, please do something about it call the 877 number, 877-339-3324, or reach out to us on Facebook, on our Facebook page. Have a great week. We'll talk to you again. You have been listening to The Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return. For more information, call 877-339-3324 or visit www.narcononsuncoast.org. Narconon is a non-12-step rehabilitation program based on the works of L. Ron Hubbard. 